0: Hey Tribe, thanks for tuning into the Pursuit of Health and Wellness podcast, the show for women seeking a practical path to conscious living to elevate their physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. I'm your host, Sierra Corbett, an experienced holistic health practitioner. Every episode, I'll share with you tips and tricks that I've learned from my career in educational holistic health. I'll also introduce you to experts within the wellness field in order to help you create a wholesome lifestyle where you can feel good from the inside out. I'm so glad you're here and have chosen to invest in yourself. Let's get going. Hey Tribe, thanks for tuning in to The Pursuit of Health and Wellness. Today we're talking about sleep. According to the National Sleep Foundation, more than 60% of adults report having some sort of trouble sleeping more than once a week. And it's estimated that as many as 70 million people in the United States have a sleep disorder. Understanding sleep disorders can help us minimize the consequences of poor sleep, which can include diminished quality of life and also an increased risk of developing health issues. Today we're gonna discuss types of sleep disorders, including their symptoms and causes. We're gonna discuss some of the ways sleep disorders are diagnosed and treated, and steps we can take to get a better night's sleep. Joining us today to help shed light on this topic is certified sleep specialist and sleep coach, Dr. Angela Holiday bell Hello, doctor, how are you? Hello, I'm well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate your contribution to the pursuit of health and wellness podcast and we really look forward to learning more about how to improve our quality of sleep. So can we get started by first you introducing yourself, Um, let us know where we can find you online and also familiarize us with the type of services you offer.
1: Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm Dr. Holiday Bell. I am a board certified physician. In addition to that, I'm a certified sleep specialist, sleep coach, and corporate wellness consultant. And so I provide different services based on the individual or company's needs. So I do one-on-one consulting with individuals who suffer from a range of sleep issues from your um, person who just has sleep that's not quite right and they don't really know how to fix it, but maybe it hasn't been going on for too long. They just know that they're not getting the sleep that they need and they're not waking up refreshed. We do kind of a uh, one-on-one, one-time comprehensive assessment where I assess for certain sleep disorders that I'm sure we'll discuss later in this show, as well as look at their sleep schedule, medication, substances that they use that might be contributing to their sleep issues. And then I give them a personalized sleep plan for them to go ahead and implement. Um, Most of my Individual clients end up being ones who suffer from chronic insomnia, which is a little bit more than just your average sleep problem. It's something that's been going on long-term, and they have usually tried many things to help. And we do a one-on-one consultations over usually a six-week period. Okay. And then I also do corporate consulting where I provide uh, workshops and seminars for different corporations. You can find more about that on my website at thesolutionissleep.com. I also like to be entertaining, educational, informative on some of our social media sites. So on Instagram, I am the sleep underscore MD. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn just under my name, Dr. Angela Holiday Bell.
0: Okay. All right. So you mentioned that um, you work with clients that have chronic sleep insomnia. When it comes down to sleep, what are signs to look out for that lets us know that we're not getting enough sleep? And at what point do we seek a professional for that help?
1: Yeah, so there, there are definitely some telltale signs of insufficient sleep. The first and I think most obvious one is just if you're feeling tired throughout the day. Um, honestly, if you're getting a good night's sleep, barring any other medical conditions that might be contributing, you should have enough energy to get through your daily activities without necessarily needing a nap or caffeine to sustain you throughout the day. If you feel like you're constantly groggy and tired and just trudging through your day, that's probably a sign you're not getting enough sleep. Some other more subtle signs are things like waking up with headaches in the mornings. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you notice every morning you're waking up, and you have a headache, usually frontal in nature, kind of right along the forehead, that can be a sign. If you are not as productive as you uh, wanna be, that can be a sign that you're not getting enough sleep. If you feel like you have to nap throughout the day in order to just make it through to your normal activities. Or if you feel like you have to have caffeine in order to make it throughout your normal activities, all of those things are signs that you may not be getting enough sleep and might be time to do something about it. Now, once you try to do something about it, which for some people it simply means prioritizing sleep, go to sleep. Most people who don't get sufficient sleep is because they don't try to, right? Like they leave sleep to the end of the night, they get six hours, and they're tired at the time. Try to get eight hours and see if that helps. But if you're someone who said, you know what, I try to get more sleep and I'm not able to do it or you're someone who says, I do get enough sleep, so I'm sleeping eight hours, but I'm still so tired, I'm still waking up with these morning headaches, then it's the time to reach out to a professional. Okay.
0: All right. So what is the major difference between a sleep disorder versus just having, you know, just normal problems with falling asleep? Like, is there a defining point where it's like, okay, this is absolutely a sleep disorder?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I would even, I would categorize sleep disorders into two different buckets. So you have your medical sleep disorders and those are things like obstructive sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome, where it's more than just uh, your inability to get sleep because of whatever factors, environmental factors, or or you're not doing enough to get sleep. It is there's something going on internally with your body that's not allowing you to get either enough sleep or to get quality sleep. And then there is your there are your more cognitive behavioral disorders like chronic insomnia, and in that there isn't anything necessarily medically wrong. There's no lab, no study that would identify the problem. However, it is something that requires more in depth cognitive behavioral training to treat, Um, as opposed to your sleep problems that you just have, you know, problem falling asleep a couple of nights, so you're going through a stressful event, so it's hard for you to fall asleep, or again, you're just not giving yourself enough opportunity to fall asleep. That's not really a disorder because it's not something that is uh, necessarily out of your control to change with the right measures.
0: So are you noticing any trends in your practice? Are there any sleep disorders that are more common than others? I know you mentioned a few, but are there some that are just way too common when it comes down to the clients that you work with?
1: Yeah, I would say the most common for who I work with are uh, clients who suffer from chronic insomnia. Another huge one and one that is often not identified is obstructive sleep apnea. And so that is a condition where there's something obstructing or blocking the airway such that uh, there's not enough oxygen that gets to the tissues while you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. It often presents itself as snoring throughout, loud snoring throughout the night, pauses in breathing, uh, known as apneic events from our standpoint. And what that can lead to is chronic insufficient quality of sleep. So even someone who says, I sleep eight or nine hours, but I'm so tired out throughout the day, uh, may have obstructive of sleep apnea that's uh, affecting their sleep quality, so they're not getting good sleep at-
0: Okay. And um, for the individuals that don't necessarily have a sleep disorder, but do sometimes have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, what are some ways to fall asleep faster and stay asleep? So the the
1: number one thing that I recommend for anyone who's struggling with sleep issues, whether it's more short-term or long-term, is to first start by having a regular sleep schedule. What this means is waking up which is the most important, actually even more important than going to sleep, waking up at the same time every day, including the weekends. And to be fair, by same time, I mean within an hour of uh, the same time each day. And that's because our circadian rhythm is that 24-hour cycle that governs our levels of alertness and tiredness that we feel throughout the day. And the best way to entrain that or to make it so that we feel awake when we want to, it feels sleeping when we want to, is by keeping our schedules consistent. When you're inconsistent with your schedule, if the role is obviously came in with and it doesn't know when you should be feeling alert versus tired, then it makes it harder to have that same consistency each night. So it's important to wake up at the same time, try to go to sleep at the same time um, each night. The other thing is to make your bedroom and your bed a sanctuary for sleep. So what I mean by that is, you know, making it comfortable, making sure that it's relaxing, but also not doing other activities in your bed besides sleeping. So things like working is a huge one. I see so many people, especially people who work from home, who are on their laptops and answering emails and like, all these kinds of things in the bed. And what that does is dilutes the relationship that your bed has between sleep in the bed. Because you get in bed, it's like, oh, is this when we work? Do we get stressed out? Are we sending emails? Are we talking on the phone? Are we eating? Um, and it doesn't know what you're going to do. So you really want to make sure that you're only sleeping and doing certain adult activities in your bed so that as soon as you get in your bed, it's a stimulus for sleep. And that makes it easier for you to fall asleep sleep every day.
0: Oh, okay. All right, so most people that I know, at least, are looking forward to on the weekend sleeping in. So do you not recommend <laughs> sleeping in on the weekends?
1: You know, I don't. And, and I will say this. So there are some magical creatures who can sleep at any time, anywhere, don't have sleep issues, their head hits the pillow, and whether it's five hours later than normal or two hours earlier than normal, they sleep fine. If that's you, more power to you. I wish I could be that person. Don't change Um, uh, But for the majority of us, that really isn't the case. So a lot of us tend to have some sleep issues. I would say if you are struggling with your sleep. If you're not one of those small minority people who can do that, then unfortunately, it's not a great uh, idea to sleep in on the weekend. This is coming from someone who absolutely loves sleep. I'm a night owl by nature, so in order to deal with the schedule that you know the normal weekday has on me, I have to go into my normal circadian rhythm. So. So I can't sleep in like I would otherwise want to, biologically, but in order to keep my sleep uh, consistent and make it so that I'm falling asleep regularly and waking up regularly, it really is important. So I will sleep in an hour on the weekends. That's kind of my, that's my sleeping in. But mm-hmm. I would recommend no, no longer than that.
0: Okay. Okay. Great advice. All right. So other than not having a sleep schedule, are there common things that people do that they may think are helping them, but is actually uh, hurting them? and messing up their sleep patterns
1: yeah there definitely are so one thing that people do and it, and it makes sense if you think about it if you did not if you didn't know better about sleep structure and how it works is that many people will try to make up for poor sleep by spending more time in their bed so let's say you're one who's like okay i got into bed at nine and i was on waking up at six or something like that and I couldn't fall asleep and I only ended up getting five hours. So now I need even more sleep. So now I'm gonna get to bed at eight to make sure that you know I fall asleep a little bit earlier. The problem with that is the more time you spend in your bed, not sleeping, the weaker the relationship is between your bed and sleep. Kind of similar to what I talked about before about doing other activities in your bed. Because Mm -hmm. what happens for those individuals is you get into your bed hoping to fall asleep. You're not falling asleep. You become frustrated you get anxious you get stressed out. Here we go again, another night not falling asleep, I'm going to be so tired tomorrow, and your mind starts racing, and then you start to connect being in your bed with being anxious and stressed out and all of those thoughts. It can become so significant for some people that they have what's called psychophysiologic insomnia. I uh-huh. mean, they can go throughout their day perfectly fine, be dog tired by the time they're ready to get in their bed, and as soon as they get into bed, they are alert anxious, heart starts racing, and that's because there's such a strong connection between being in bed anxious that they're, that they're not used to being able to fall asleep and relax. So it it can create this vicious cycle. So I actually recommend only going to sleep when you're sleepy. That's why I said it's more important to have a consistent wake-up time than the bedtime, because if you're not sleepy by your bedtime, don't get into your bed. When well. you're sleepy get into your bed and then that makes it a stronger connection between getting in your bed and falling asleep. So that's one thing that's huge. Don't think that spending more time in bed is going to solve the issue because usually it's the opposite. A similar thing is when people wake up in the middle of the night and have a hard time falling back to sleep. They say, okay, I'm just going to lay here. I'm going to couch sheep. I'm going to try to force myself to fall asleep and eventually I will go to sleep. And again, all that does is connect your bed with being awake and being anxious and shuts out. So really the key is if you are in your bed and you wake up and you can't fall asleep within 15 minutes, it's actually best to get out of your bed, do some relaxing activity until you feel sleepy again, and then get back into your bed when you're ready to fall asleep. And that helps to break that pattern of waking and then staying awake in the middle of the night.
0: Wow. Okay. Wow. You just yeah. taught something about myself because I'm one of those people who I would go on my bed with no real intention of going to sleep. It's just I, I would lay <laughs> down and then I can't sleep. The next thing I know, I'm up until like three o'clock in the morning. So, <laughs>
1: Exactly. And it's so common, but people, and it, it's understandable to say, well, if I want to go to sleep, I should be in the bed, but it just doesn't work. that. So if your mind isn't ready to fall asleep, you don't want to stay in the bed, struggling, tossing and turning because that really just... Uh, creates an uncomfortable relationship between your bed and sleep. Wow. Let me say one other big thing that I know individuals do, that they think helps their sleep, but definitely hurts it, is having a nightcap. So many people will have wine before bed or some other type of alcohol because it makes them sleepy and it mm-hmm. makes it easier for them to fall asleep. And while that's true, alcohol is actually metabolized very quickly and then it becomes stimulating. So it will often make you sleepy before you are going to bed, but then when it's broken down, it leads to middle of the night wakings. It leads to lighter sleep, so you don't get uh, into those deeper stages as much. It uh-huh. can make you wake up earlier than intended. So even though you're falling asleep quickly, you're actually getting poorer quality sleep. So it's better to keep alcohol no more than three to four hours of your bedtime to have your sleep quality.
0: Okay. Oh. Wow. All right. So I put out a question to my Instagram following and asked them. I mentioned that we were going to have this recording for the podcast and if they had any questions regarding sleep. So one of the questions that I got was about snoring. I guess this person has an issue with snoring and his partner doesn't like it. And Mm -hmm. his question was, what causes snoring and are there solutions that can help reduce snoring?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Snoring is is fairly common, and there are a number of causes, but I want to start with the most concerning of them. So, as I mentioned earlier, one big sign of obstructive sleep apnea is snoring, consistent snoring nightly. And when we think about snoring, it's not just the sound. When you breathe in and out, whether you're awake or sleeping, it should be a quiet process. It's just air entering your nose, going into your lungs, and going back out. Right. When there is obstruction to that flow, so when there's something that causes turbulence, the air going past that turbulence is what leads to the sound of snoring. Mm-hmm. So the most concerning thing would be that there's something obstructing the airway enough that the air that you breathe in is not enough oxygen to get to your tissues, that leads to the poor quality of sleep known as sleep apnea. If that were to be the case, then the way that we uh, manage that is by CPAP, some people may have heard of. It's a continuous pressure airway machine that provides pressure to your airway to overcome that blockage so that you're getting enough oxygen, you don't have the pause of your breathing, and you're not snoring. Um, there are some dental devices as well that kind of realign your jaw or move your tongue so that they are not blocking it if that's the issue, but that's going to be the most important thing, because that actually can lead to some significant health consequences down the line, like uh, pulmonary hypertension or high blood pressure, heart disease, and all other kinds of uh, arrhythmias or abnormal heart rhythms. So it's very important that you are assessed for that and get that treated and investigated. Okay. But, as long as that's not the case, there are there are other things that can affect the airway. Sometimes it's just positional, so where the way you sleep, let's say on your back, and your tongue kind of falls back a little bit, or your jaw or mouth closes up a little bit, and it causes some turbulence of the airway, but maybe not enough that it's actually decreasing the oxygen or causing problems in your breathing. So maybe as simple as finding a different position to sleep in. Okay. Uh, for some people allergies can cause service in the airway. So if your tonsils are large or your adenoids, which are tissues that are inflamed in allergies, we can't see them, but they're kind of underneath the nose. If those are larger, that can lead to some airway issues. So treating that with, you know, flanase or antihistamines, talk to, you know, your doctor about it. A deviated septum can lead to snoring. So if you've ever like broken your nose before or you notice that things just aren't aligned quite well, you know, speaking with your physician about that and getting that corrected. So there are any causes really comes down to you determining what that cause is for you. I always recommend that everyone be open with your providers about sleep. I think sleep is not talked, enough, talked about enough in, in health visits. Uh-huh. Sleep is so vital and crucial to your health that it's one of the things that should be talked about all the time. So if you're snoring, um, whether or not you feel that it affects your sleep, talk to your provider about it because that's someone that can do an assessment and help you determine if there are, are uh, issues that's causing you serious or otherwise that you can intervene on and hopefully help you to snore a little bit less.
0: Okay. All right. And the next question I was asked on my Instagram question was What's the best sleep position to get optimum sleep? And does sleep position matter?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I actually get that fairly often. And there is no. There is no one sleep position that is right for everyone. It really is going to be based on the individual. Um, so, whatever makes you most comfortable, allows your airways to remain open, is going to be the quote unquote bad sleep position for you. There are some people who say, like, oh, if you sleep on your stomach, then you may have more wrinkles or fatty skin or something right. like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, that's up to you if you find that to be an issue. But when it comes to just sleep, adequate sleep in and of itself, there is no one position that's best. Whatever makes you most comfortable.
0: Okay. And we touched on this briefly about how your bedroom environment matters. And it also contributes to the quality of sleep you get. Can you share a few bedroom hacks that can help us get better sleep? Whether it's our curtains or our bedding, could you share what we could do for our bedroom? Yeah, Definitely.
1: So I, like I said, I always recommend making your bedroom your sleep sanctuary. Like you want to walk in and just, feel relaxed and comfortable as soon as you come in there, because that's only going to help when you're trying to fall asleep and stay asleep if your brain walks in and automatically feels that ease. So the first thing is make sure it's clutter free. If you walk in and there's clutter or dirt and things like that, then that causes And anxiety, even if you're not aware of it, it's a a mental clutter, we call it, Uh that can make it harder to fall asleep because your brain is trying to process all these things in your room that need to be done. This needs to be put up. I need to, you know, sort this out So it makes it harder to relax and unwind. So just make sure, you know, it's free of clutter. It doesn't have to be spotless, but not just like overrun with clutter. The other thing is it's best to sleep in a dark, quiet environment. Um, so if you have sleeping light that enters your room from outside, like street lights or otherwise, that can definitely interfere with your sleep. Mm-hmm. So I always recommend having some blackout curtains that block out all lights. And then I also recommend sleeping with a blackout sleep mask. I do both just in case anything slips through. Right. Um, or if you have a bed partner who may need more light than you, you know, for some reason, it's best to kind of blackout light as much as possible. So blackout curtains, blackout sleep mask. And then... Some people are different in terms of sound when it comes to sleep. So in general, it's best to have a quiet bedroom. But having a persistent soothing sound playing can also be helpful for sleep. And what I mean by that is something like a white noise. So it's a consistent sound that's played all throughout the night with no variations to interrupt your sleep. Or quietness. So you can have a sound machine for that. You can use certain sleep earplugs to help you. There's a um, a sleep mask that has Bluetooth earphones that I love because it kind of knocks out both and I can listen to sleep meditation and sleep sounds while I'm sleeping. But whatever it is, either it's a consistent soothing sound or complete quietness and darkness. The other thing is, it's actually better to sleep in a cool bedroom at night. So your body temperature has to decrease by one to two degrees in order to facilitate you falling asleep. And so it's best to keep your bedroom a little bit cooler than you otherwise would during the day. Mm-hmm. The recommended temperature range is actually somewhere between 62 to 68 degrees, but it's going to vary from person to person. So if you're like freezing at 68 degrees, don't keep it at 68 because you also want to be comfortable. But I would say a little bit lower than what's comfortable for you throughout the day can help you. In falling asleep.
0: Okay. Very informative. This, com- this whole conversation has been very informative and we're going to start to wrap it up. Is there one key piece of advice? would you say that you would tell anyone about ways in which to get better sleep?
1: Yeah, my first piece of advice, no matter who I'm talking to, whether it's someone who just had some newer short-term sleep struggles or someone who struggled with sleep for a long time and have chronic insomnia, the first thing that can, can change your sleep game significantly is prioritizing sleep, simply prioritizing it. Because for so many of us, we go throughout our day, we have all these things planned, we go to work, you may have children you're taking care of, spouses, you are cooking, you're watching TV, you're doing work, whatever. You did all these different things and then sleep is an afterthought. It's like, okay, once I'm done with every single other thing I need to do, then I'm just going to turn off the lights and boom, it's time to sleep. And unfortunately, it, it tends to be a much more difficult transition from the busy, often stressful day, your mind is going 100 miles a minute to the relaxed that you need to fall asleep. So I always say start with sleep in mind. Determine how much sleep you need. That's the other thing is sleep need is individualized. Some people need that seven to eight hours that we hear about. Some people need more. Some people need nine. Some people need ten. Some people actually need six. That's rare, but it can be less. But determine mm-hmm. what that is for you. And then plan your day around ensuring that you get that sleep and a proper wind down time so that when the time comes for you to go to bed to get those hours, your mind and your body are ready to make that transition. So it's really creating a mindset shift of not leaving sleep as the the last thing and just, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. But start with that in mind. Prioritize your sleep. Determine how much you need and then create the environment and the setting to help your yourself get.
0: That. Okay. So key information, prioritize sleep. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you so much, Dr. Holiday Bell. We truly appreciate you. I've learned a bunch of... Things that I know I need to now correct. Now, after speaking to you about sleep, because I have the worst sleep schedule. I'm someone who falls asleep like four o'clock in the morning, wake up three hours. Don't tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. But that's me. So I was actually really excited to have this call with you because I know I'm someone who don't have a good sleep schedule. I would really get three hours of sleep one day, eight hours the next day, two the next day, and think that that's somehow normal, you know? (laughs) Um, and I am one of those people who will sit and lay in bed and just be on the phone, watching TikToks all night, you know, or you know, planning for my podcast and things of that nature. But I'm, I'm, I. You made me realize all the things I do wrong. Like I do work in my bed. Like I'm um, writing, I'm journaling, I'm doing, I'm doing everything <laughs> but sleeping in my bed. So this was definitely eye opener conversation for me. And I really, I'm, I'm confident that the people who listen to my podcast will also find this helpful as well, because this was very informative. So again, thank you so much for being on this podcast. We truly appreciate you. And if someone wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way to get in touch? Would it be your website or Instagram? How do you want people to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, I would say feel free to reach out on Instagram. Again, that's at the sleep underscore MD. You can also email me at Angela Bell at the solution dot sleep.com or feel free to go to my website. I also have a blog on my website that talks about a lot of different sleep issues, some of the sleep disorders we discuss, and methods to improve your sleep. So if you just want some, a, a little bit of a deeper dive into educational material, you can go on there. But feel free to reach out to any of the platforms. I'm happy to respond.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, doctor Holiday Holliday-Bell. Again, Thank we you
1: appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care.
0: Well, that's all for today's show. So here's where you apply the information you just heard to your own life. What changes will you start making in your life based on what you've learned today? Do you have any questions regarding topics that I haven't covered or want to learn more about how to practically use what we discuss in your day-to-day life? If you do, just shoot me a message through the contact form at sierra.corbett.com, and I'll try to cover it in a future episode. Don't forget to leave me a rating on iTunes or Spotify so I can continue bringing you content like this. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to the Pursuit of Health and Wellness.